My name's uh, Neil Powell. I live in Birmingham. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I went away to university at 18, and a friend of my hall of residence, who was a Christian, uh, befriended me, took me along to a church where I first heard the good news of Jesus Christ and came to faith maybe two months into my time at university. And my life was turned upside down. And I think from a very early stage as a Christian, increasingly felt what I really uh, wanted to do with my life was, was to be a pastor and evangelist. And by God's grace, I've been given that opportunity in Birmingham. So 15 years ago, a little bit more in autumn 1999, along with two friends who started a church and we simply met in someone's front room. There were five of us initially as the core group and that church began to grow a little bit over a period of time and students in particular found their way to us from the universities across the city and uh, that church has, has grown over that time from 99. We were accidental church planters, I think we were reluctant church planters, we were certainly untrained church planters but we had a great God and, and his word and uh, his spirit uh, at work amongst us and with us. I'm married to Jane, had two children and uh, we've as I say been in the city now for about 20 years and pastoring City Church for the last 15. Birmingham is uh, an interesting place to live. It's a challenging place to live for those of you who don't know the city or have never been there. It is officially Europe's youngest city, by which I mean 37.8% of the city are under the age of 25, which according to the European Union makes it Europe's youngest city. So it has a, a future and there's lots of life and energy. Uh, we're also a very diverse city. So 57% of those under the age of 11, 57% come from a whole variety of ethnic backgrounds. Already, I say already because it's a figure that will grow, 20% of the city are Muslim. And the single largest intake into the school system at the bottom end, if you like, at four or five, the single largest intake are from the Pakistani community. So as, the, as we look for our future in the next 15 to 20 years, being a pastor and a church planter in the city, will bring with it all sorts of opportunities, a growing city, a diverse city, a young city, but it will bring challenges as well, as, as we can see perhaps opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ growing from those from other faith backgrounds and cultures. I've also had the privilege and opportunity to be a, a pastor who's planted a church, so our daughter church started seven years ago, and that has, uh, that has grown, and we are together about to plant into another part of the city in September of this year, with about 10 going from each congregation. So I'm sort of a pastor and a planter and uh, working in, in that regard in the city. What I'm not is an expert on evangelism. So if you come for the download, and you come for someone to just tell you what to do and how to do it, you've come to the wrong person. I always feel there are certain subjects where someone says, would I come to a conference and speak on something? I immediately feel that I'm not qualified. And that's exactly how I feel on this particular topic. And I, I'm, I'm utterly persuaded that there are people in this room doing a better job of being an evangelist within your planting pastry context than I am. So please don't feel that I've come to preach at you, to tell you how to do the work, but hopefully just to share something that I've gleaned from my experience that uh, we can share with one another and learn from, um, and that you can take back and, and share with others. Uh, there is a paper handout. If you're the kind of person who likes things uh, electronically, I can't give you that now, but I'll give you my email address, and if you'd like an electronic version of the handouts, so that you can even perhaps interact with it or pass it on to someone else, then take a note of this email address and just ping me an email, and I'll send that to you later today. It's Neil, N-E-I-L, 
at city-church.org.uk. So that's Neil, N-E-I-L, at city-church.org.uk. And I'll send that through to you um, later today. The handout's coming now. I just thought I'd like to introduce myself at a time when you weren't just reading the handout. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for those who first brought the gospel to us. We often take for granted when we wake up in the morning that we are your children, that we are Christians. But not only do we and have we depended on your grace to bring us the faith, but we have depended, we have depended on those people that you sent to us. Maybe they were our parents, maybe they were friends and neighbours, people we grew up with or attended a youth group with. Whoever they were, Lord, thank you for them and their willingness to speak of you to us. And Father, we therefore want to be those who take the good news of Jesus and pass it on to others. What we have received, we pass on. And Lord, therefore, we ask that you would teach and train and equip us through what we learn in this next hour, how to be more effective as facilitators of evangelism and mission in the churches or church planting contexts that you have placed us. Lord, would you be with us by your spirit, maybe as we look at different ideas and issues, would you by your spirit prompt us where we might perhaps take something and, and put that quite quickly and immediately into practice with those things that make an impact, be things that you show us how to take back home with us, that uh, we might be a church that is on mission. And would we be those who are on mission for your glory? Thank you for that message this morning. We want the earth to be filled not just with Christians, but we want the earth to be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. So please work in and through us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, just pass this around. Our context is so very different, not being entirely sure how best to take this seminar, what I've done is decided to just give you 18 different ideas as to how you might, uh, might want to think about evangelism in your situation, because we're so varied, aren't we, in terms of where we're working, what we're doing, the situations that we face, how far along we are in terms of pastoring and planting and so on. I imagine most of it will be familiar to you. Um, I think uh, at our own church context, um, we've learned as we've gone over 15 years to do everything a little bit better, but nothing perfectly. So that's, uh, that's where we are. So our theme really is, what does it mean to build a church around mission? How do we mobilize the members of our plant or core group or church community in mission? How do we build momentum? And how do we maintain a vision for evangelism and keep it going as the heartbeat, if you like, of the local church? So I'm giving you not a program, but a series of ideas. And some, as I say, will, will immediately, I think, resonate with you as the priorities, which ones that you want to start with. But this is the heart of it, isn't it? Number one, keep the Great Commission the focus of your mission. We need to be those, as leaders in local church or plants, who maintain the priority of mission. It's very easy as a, as a core group and as a young church 
to have a vision for reaching your people, your community, your city and beyond, but keeping the Great Commission at the heart of everything that you do, flowing through all the ministries that you do, is absolutely essential. And we'll do that as we keep coming back to the Bible and reminding that God is a God of mission. So something of the urgency of the task is conveyed as, as we look at Jesus' own life and mission, that there are, is and remain a priority of some of the things that we do over and against others. So in Mark chapter 1, Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? What an opportunity, Jesus. Everyone is looking for you in the place that you've been working in ministry. But Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So the primacy of mission is established in the priorities that Jesus establishes right there at the very opening chapter of Mark's Gospel. Uh, the disciples come to him and says, fantastic, everyone wants something of your time. And Jesus says, well, if they want it, that means we need to go, because we need to go to others who have not yet heard. I must preach there also. That is why I have come. So in our leadership, if you're a leader, <clears throat> a core group, plant, or a church, in our leadership, particularly in our preaching and teaching, we must minister in a way that reminds everyone of the urgency and priority of mission, to keep eternal realities at the forefront of the minds of the congregation. Andrew Heard started a church from his own front room in the Gold Coast of Australia. It's now a church of about two and a half thousand people. Not in a very big place either, at a city of around 300,000 people. And at a conference quite recently, he said, look, what we need to do is recapture the heart of God for the lost. And he basically says, whenever he gets a teaching opportunity, is that a staff meeting? a prayer meeting, a business meeting of the church, leading a church gathering or preaching, he, he basically does a mental check of these five issues and says, I want to say something about one of these five things, obviously in a whole variety of different ways, but to keep everyone on mission together. The reality of heaven and hell, that colours and shapes everything. Heaven is real, and so is hell. The fact of the cross, the fact that the Father is willing to give his son's life shows me that this is the issue that we're about. A biblical vision for one new humanity, the church, and building and growing the church that brings glory to God. The brevity of life, saying to his own people and congregation, no doubt you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but are you committed to him at the cost of saying no to other things? Life is so short, and at the end of your life, will you say, I gave myself to something of eternal value? And then the fact of love. Do I care about the fate of the lost as Jesus cared? The, the one who was like the shepherd to sheep who had no shepherd, who had compassion on those who are lost. Andrew Hurd basically says those sort of five different headers are different ways of keeping people on mission through the scriptures as we come week in, week out to the Bible. All these things focus our attention on the Great Commission. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. And you as a leader, if that's what you are in a local church context, just have to keep that the priority. And you do it by establishing that that's God's priority. Your mission is God's mission, which is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The reality of heaven and hell, the fact of the cross, the biblical vision for the church, the brevity of life, the fact, the fact of love. And just different ways of feeding that in to the preaching and teaching and vision casting 
for you as a church. Two, give your church a big vision for mission. So something not so much about the urgency of the task, but the size of the task, if you like. What did we look at this morning? We looked, didn't we, as, as Steve was teaching us, that we're not interested, particularly in reaching the odd one here or there. We're not particularly interested in only reaching our community or our town, but the re-evangelization of Europe, as Vaughan was teaching us, and the gospel to the ends of the earth, as Steve was commending us to the glory of God. So we need, when we talk about mission, to make sure that people aren't thinking in our churches only of their immediate relatives, or their next door neighbor, or their work colleague, but they're actually thinking about people they don't know and have never met. So aren't people at City Church in Birmingham thinking, wow, 20% of our city are Muslim. How, how are we gonna reach 20% of our city? Rather than thinking, I'd love my neighbor to come to this event, this barbecue that we're hosting. Good as that is, and important as that is, but a bigger vision of friendship evangelism. And actually, I want people at City Church to have a bigger vision than they think any one church on its own can fulfill. So the agenda I set before our church is we are a city of a million. In fact, our city will grow in the next 10 years by the size of Oxford. So just take everyone in Oxford and move them to Birmingham in the next 10 years, and that's what's going to happen in Birmingham. Our population will grow by 300 people a week. That's bigger than most churches in our city. Every single week, our population is growing. So this constant sense of the urgency of the task, but the size of the task as well, that sends us on to mission, but also sends us to prayer, and sends us hopefully into partnership with other churches, and with a, with a desire to plant and so on, to do more than we could ever do on our own. So in Birmingham, we're committed to something called 2020 Birmingham, and that is a, a vision to see 20 church planting churches established between the years 2010 and 2020 with the aim that those 20 church plants established might in themselves plant, maybe within the next five years or so, so with a multiplication factor begins to come in. The goal is maybe 100 churches over the next 20 or 30 years, but we're just trying to sort of get that started by a group of church planting churches working very deliberately, uh, collaboratively in church planting to do more than we could ever do on our own. So the vision that we want before our members at City is something bigger than friendship evangelism. It's in fact the evangelization of Birmingham to begin with. So if you're a pastor or a planter, what does that mean for you? Well, number three, that means that your ministry has to, uh, has to focus around mission and facilitating mission. So 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, to the man of God, to Timothy, the pastor of the church, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. So a question for you to be thinking through, as you go through here, if this is relevant to you, how is the priority of evangelism evidence in your ministry? Is it, is it seen, is it felt by the congregation um, that that is your urgent priority? Now turning over the page, that is not to say that you're responsible to do the evangelism of the church, but it is to highlight the fact that you are the catalyst and energizer for evangelism and the vision caster. So how do you measure whether mission is your priority? That's something you might want. How do we as a leadership team or a core group stay on mission? And what might that look like? So if you're going to be a facility, if you're going to cast vision for mission and you're going to see your urgent priority uh, to make that in all how you 
function and organize your own ministries, it would also mean that you will want to mobilize the entire church body for mission. So number four, mobilize for mission. That really means we need to identify, train, and equip the church for mission. So at the most basic level, it begins with, can people clearly articulate the gospel? Do they know the gospel so that they could explain if someone were to ask them, well, what does it mean for you to be a Christian, that they're equipped? But can people build meaningful relationships? You know, that's actually a challenge in itself for some people to know, how do I go about building a relationship with someone who's maybe a next door neighbor or a work colleague or someone I meet at the, the club or the gym or wherever else and develop that into a meaningful relationship? <clears throat> Are people intentional in prayer? Can they tell their story of how they came to faith in an engaging way and what the Lord Jesus has done in them over time? And do they know how to connect with the culture so they can move from a discussion about a film or a book or an idea or a general election and begin to bring Christ in a winsome way into conversations. I think this diagram works better if it's printed in colour. So it's, a, it, it's an attempt to say, look, I think at the very least three things are necessary. I've written a blog post to explain the diagram that's footnoted at the bottom of the page. MI is the intersection between the three circles in the centre, and that's maximum impact. How do you have each member of your congregation really on mission in a maximal way? And the three circles represent the three things that are necessary. They firstly need to be spiritually available to the Lord. In other words, they've got to care uh, about the Lord's work and about the fate of the lost. Spiritually available to God. And that's where the five points in the very first principle come in as we remind people of these eternal realities. They've got to be those who are spending time with uh, their, their non-believing friends. And then they've got to be building uh, a number of friendships as well. So available, spending time, building the number of friendships. And those are all different challenges, aren't they? And if we're spiritually available to God, then we will be people of prayer. As we build friendships, we'll be asking the Lord to bring certain people across our hearts <coughs> into our lives who we might share Christ with. If we're spiritually available to God, then we'll discern how and when to give time to be with friends. And then if we're spending time with friends, it will lead us to action to build and to grow the number of our friendships. So just trying to help people work out where they are on mission, what is, what is stopping them, we'll look at blockages in a minute, but how to move every member of a core group, a church community on in their thinking, so they know what the next step is for them. Is it being clear on what the gospel is? Is it how to build relationships? Is it to be more deliberate in prayer for their unbelieving friends? What is it that they need so that you can move together and grow together as a church? On mission. Uh, I'll do number five and then we'll stop and see if there's anything from the first five that, that you want to ask about. Contextualize your plans to be effective in mission. Those famous verses from 1 Corinthians 9 where the Apostle Paul talks about verse 22 becoming all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. So contextualization, uh, Timothy and Chester say in everyday in everyday church is we need to get to know our neighborhood, its people, their stories, values, worldview, and culture. And in here there are 16 really helpful, very practical questions. If you're moving to a new place to start a new church or you're starting a new community group, a missional community group, or doing something else, how do you get to know that neighborhood? When we started City Church in Birmingham, I made it my goal every Wednesday morning to basically go out and knock the doors. I wanted to meet people and to ask them what mattered to them 
and whether they thought there was a place for the church in the community. So I basically had a list, I think, of about 10 different <coughs> uh, social factors, everything to do with uh, uh, community, to crime, to education, to opportunity, employment opportunities, and basically said, what, what do you think really matters to this community? And then how might a church be able to help um, and play its part here? Do you, so the first question, do you think it's, it's good news that there's a new church starting here? Could it be? What could they do? And so on. Just trying to get to know the people and build a picture and profile of the community in which we were seeking to minister. Of course, contextualization is finally trying to build a bridge between their world and the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, Tim Keller says that uh, uncontextualization is not giving people uh, what they want to hear. That's not what you're doing contextualizing. You're not just trying to tell people what they want to hear, but you're trying to give them Bible answers, what the gospel is, in a way that they can hear and understand, whether or not they choose to accept it. Can I build a bridge between the world of the gospel and the world in which they live? Can I speak in, in language and forms that they comprehend? Can they feel that the force of the gospel message, even if they perhaps reject it? So what does it mean to reach, for example, post-Christian secular people? And how do we do that uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's just stop there. I appreciate it's not been very interactive so far. You might have ideas on these five issues. You may have been putting them into practice in different ways in your own context. You may just want to ask a question or make a comment. But anything, just shout out, particularly if it's focused in on one of the principles, <coughs> principle, and then maybe share something with the group if that's okay. I think persuading people that time spent with others is more important sometimes than more feverish activity, which may well be quality activity. But I think one of the biggest challenges we face at the moment is persuading one another that time spent with others in ordinary everyday activities, you know, go back to that diagram, the building of friendships, the time spent with people, that means you can't be available perhaps for some other excellent activities. Yes. Really essential. Yes. Um, so, my friend who pastors in Birmingham and New Frontiers Church, they basically break up their summer program um, from sort of missional community groups into interest groups. <coughs> so, what they try and do is either give people permission to go off and join a book club or a mountain biking thing or just do something with your friends and your peer groups and others. Or they say, if it's more helpful to you, you can join a little community which will find everyone in the church who's interested in a book club. And we'll, we'll start a book club that's just going to run for these eight weeks where we want you to bring your friends and be part of that group together, or a running group, or a sports team, or whatever else it may be. So trying to actually facilitate it in the life of the church by giving people permission to go and join something else, or by actually facilitating some form of group work, community project or group work that can bring people meaningfully into, into lives. Yeah. So that, that's a way in which we can help make time is by shutting stuff down to send people off on mission or doing things together. What's the rationale behind um, encouraging people to build a number of friendships? What is it, why? Why would you encourage them to build a number? Okay, well, I think um, because we only have so much time and we can't be there for everyone, we have to almost decide and prioritize in the way the Lord Jesus did who he would give his time to. So if you look at Jesus, there was the crowds, there was the 72, there were the 12, there were the three, potentially you might even say even one with Simon Peter. He didn't give his time equally to everyone. 
And in the same way, I think that's where the, the, the spiritual discipline of prayer comes in. If I want to be available to God, God, use me to speak into the lives of as many people as possible, but lead me to those with whom I can give time and energy to share my life and Christ with. So I think being available to God leads us to prayer, leading us to ask him, who are the people that you're sending me to? Because I can't be everywhere. I'm not, I'm not, I'm omnipotent. I'm, I'm, I'm limited as a human being. So I think proportioning my time in, in, the, in the most appropriate ways. Does that mean giving everyone the same amount? No, I'll give my wife more time than anybody else. She might dispute that, but um, my wife and then my children and my church. But who is it in my community that I want to particularly give and invest time in? With the list of these um, questions and things, the first one, can people clearly articulate the gospel? Yeah. <clears throat> Presumably, that's. I mean, it could be into different backgrounds and things like that. It's, it seems quite simple on one hand, but on another, could potentially quite tricky as well. I don't know what your experience has been in terms of getting people to clearly articulate the gospel. Well, we've just tried to train using resources that we've generally pulled off the shelf. So there are a number of training resources and materials may be available downstairs, which just give you the basic. So it might be something like two ways to live or some other resource like that. That means at the very least, a Christian is clear on what they think the gospel is um, in a simple, digestible two to three minute form. So that if put on the spot and asked that question, what's it mean for you to be a Christian? They have an answer rather than no answer. Uh, inevitably, we want people to make it their own, to make it real, and we want them to introduce elements of their own story and how they've come to this knowledge of Jesus. But I think some biblical understanding of the gospel, putting Jesus Christ at the centre of it all, so that in talking about what it means for me to be a Christian, I don't miss an opportunity to state the very basic of the Lordship of Jesus and his death in my place and my sins. But trying to also do it in ways that, that are winsome and engaging and not jargon loaded yeah. but starting somewhere for those who say I don't even have the basic framework in place is the beginning Thank you. what your advice would be on um, contextualising the gospel in the context of like a street preacher where you're not actually speaking to one person you speak to a crowd could be, could be more kind of backgrounds uh, Talk to the wrong person. I've not done that, but we had a member of our church who we, we added up, we've done 3,000 hours of street preaching. I could give you his uh, give you his contact details, he'd have a very clear answer. I think his main point of access was popular culture. So he started with the ideas that form basically around TV and I and, and so on. So he might particularly look at surface idols. We'll look at those in a minute about surface idols and source idols. And surface idols are the things that everyone are talking about in terms of hopes and dreams and aspirations that are, that are disseminated through popular culture. So it might be things like The Voice or X Factor or other programs like that or someone, big news that someone, so he might do a street preaching 10 minute slot because someone's just won the lottery or someone won the lottery and stayed in their job and would just kick it off and start to engage people on a conversation that they were probably having, if not just in their head, then with their neighbour or with their friend at work. Oh, did you hear about that guy who won the lottery? But he's carrying on with his job. I wouldn't do that. I'd be doing this. And that kind of thing. And he'd start there and build a bridge from that world of popular culture through to, through to the storyline of the gospel. 
and there, there's some skill involved in that. It's not obvious how to do that and to do it well. But I think if you were dealing with, pop, with, with just the person walking <coughs> past you in the streets, you just want to hit the big headlines that are being discussed and thought about, and the media is probably going to be the surest guide to that, I think. Yeah. So I'd go TV, news stories, probably even more than film or music, because that tends to divide people a little bit. So Radio 5 Live would be something of my guide in terms of what is the story on the news that morning. Is it about someone getting knocked out of Strictly? Is it about this? Is it about something else? But I'm not an expert on street. Yeah, Neil, uh, I think there's a connect between two of those questions. Can people build meaningful relationships and do they know how to connect with the culture? And there are two questions you know, that I ask our folks for. Uh, and I'm not sure, I don't know, because I find sometimes Christians, long-time Christians, wonderful people. I love all our, our folks at Small Church Bank. But because most of them don't live in the area, this is one of our, our major difficulties. It's, big, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big weakness. We, we realise that. We've, we've highlighted that we know that. Have you any other thoughts on, on how to break that down? Have you, have you highlighted a, a way in which you've been trying to do this? No, we're trying to do those two things. Yeah. It's very difficult with a group of folks who don't live in the area and have been Christians for many, many years. Yeah. And a lot of their social time is spent uh, in church-related activities that they've done other things. Yeah. And so we've lost touch in some ways with, with you know, current uh, affairs and that sort of context. I think we... I think it comes through our preaching. And to say that, can I build a bridge to move, to move us on to number six and see if this in any way helps? Um, if you want a missional church, you won't get one without missional preaching. You've got to have missional preaching at the heart of a missional church. That's where you really cast vision and set the agenda, not just for what you say the church stands for, but for the feel and the culture and the storyline of the church is communicated mostly through the man who has the pulpit, who's up there for half the service, every service, or whatever else it might be. So what is missional preaching? I ought to say that this table here, which we're not gonna go in by, by the way into any detail, is actually um, part of a paper by Tim Keller. Sorry, I didn't footnote where this is from, but you can look it up and Google it. And it's uh, from uh, Tim Keller's uh, Practicing of Preaching to Secular People. He's written a book uh, which will be out in maybe three months' time. It's called Preaching, Communicating Faith in a Skeptical Age. And he gave a number of talks which really form the, the basis of the book um, at RTS Reform Theological Seminary in Jackson. And they're called the John Reed Miller Lectures. So if you just Google John Reed Miller Lectures, Reed is R-E-E-D, John Reed Miller Lectures, RTS Jackson, he gave them the autumn of last year, and really they're the heart of the book. And the book is really how to effectively preach in a missional way. How to engage people through your preaching, both Christian and non-Christian at the same time. So what is missional preaching? Well, I think at the very least, just to put ahead of this table, it's preaching as if non-Christians are present, and preaching directly to them and applying the gospel to them as you are also at the same time applying the same gospel to the Christian who is amongst them. So you're demonstrating in your preaching how the gospel directly answers the questions that our culture is, is raising. 
even though they don't think it is and can't see how it could, you are helping show how the gospel addresses the thought forms of the culture and the generation. Now, there, there's an excellent little section in uh, Darren Patrick's book, Church Plants, and this is available downstairs for seven pounds, and I get no commission for having said that. But he talks about surface idols and source idols. You basically say the way in which you can most effectively preach the gospel to a culture that thinks the gospel has nothing to say to them is to talk about what uh, Patrick talks as surface idols. So he means things like a sense of identity, who, are, who am I? What does it mean to be British? Or what does it mean for me to be a teenager? Or nearing retirement, issues of identity, issues of image and self-worth, issues of work, materialism, security. Those are sort of the, the surface idols that people are thinking through for themselves. What gives my life significance? How will I know when I've signed off at the end of my life and retired that I've lived a life worth living? Those are the questions that people are asking themselves, even if they're not stating them in a very public way. And he says behind those sort of surface idols will be a number of source idols that really address our human nature and the core of our being. And he identifies four of them in the book, comfort, approval, control, and power. And I haven't got time to unpack them at all. My apologies for that. But you can read them in the book. Or again, if you just Google Darren Patrick, surface idols. The number of people have blogged from these pages and given quite helpful little summary statements of what he's saying in the book. And I think it's just a helpful way to say, what is it that's going on in our world at the moment that resonates with people of no faith, that is just one step away from introducing the gospel to them? And how do I go from the questions that they are asking to show them that the gospel is answering those questions? And Patrick's saying you have to do it through two stages. You have to identify the surface idol, the things that, they, that do matter to them. And from that, identify a source idol, which is their alternative gospel, the, the God that they're looking to, to supply and to meet their needs. And then show how that God fails and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the final and only answer to that gospel, to, to that need. So I'm always uh, preaching every Sunday uh, to, to non-Christians and I'm always wanting every Christian in our church to be thinking I wish my friend were here today because what they asked me about on Thursday he's kind of answering that in this talk this morning so you always want them to say I wish I brought my friend every single Sunday so yes we do occasional guest services where they are slightly shorter and they're particularly good ones to bring a friend but we want every Sunday to be really accessible to non-Christians and they know my non-Christian friend will hear the gospel in a way that isn't embarrassing, that connects with their life and their culture and helps them to think about Jesus for the first time as, as they've been helped to build the bridges. Now that's really hard if you're a pastor or a planter or a leader to make time to do the work on this because I think it's probably not instinctively easy for many of us to do it. We're good at our exegesis on the text and even if we've got Logos 6, we need help to build the bridge to say back, what are the questions in our culture that the Bible is answering here? And how do I, in my introduction to my sermon and, and as I speak into the culture, how do I help people to see, yeah, that the Bible is answering exactly the question that I'm asking? And that's a challenge in our post-Christian secular culture. So there are some practical tips that, um, that Tim Keller is drawing out in this paper. If they are of interest to you, 
then download the John Reed Miller lectures, or think perhaps about buying the book, preaching, communicating faith in a skeptical age. But it's the last two points, just on that uh, bottom of page three, that I think the work for me is a challenge. So draw on cultural references. So I need to read what they're reading. I need to answer the questions they're asking, but from the Bible. And that's more work, isn't it? It takes more time. I think I can read the Bible and prepare a sermon for Christians, personally, in about eight hours. But to do it in a way that engages with the non-Christians is more work. So I've got to understand their world and speak the same gospel messages, and that's where I find the challenge of time for me as a preacher and a pastor to do it well. Because it not only means knowing those cultural references, but at the bottom of that handout, reading across the spectrum, which means reading the kind of books I don't normally read, books that I don't particularly want to read, watching TV programs I'm not. So um, what's, the, what's the one about the thrones? What's that for? Throne to, sorry? See, I've not watched it yet, and I kind of keep thinking, do you know what? It's everywhere on Twitter, it's every, you know, I just need to get a handle on this because if, it might just be a really helpful bridge, but I don't know because I haven't made the time to watch it yet because it's more, I think, something else to do, but there you go. So that's just a little bit on preaching. I appreciate we're not all here as preachers today, but um, that, I think, is where the vision is cast and the missional agenda is set in the life of the church where your Christians are in your congregation are thinking, I wish my friends were here and I want to get them here. That's what we want to do. So, uh, seven, turning over the page, the, the latter ones are shorter. Uh, what is the time, sorry? Um, 20 seconds. Okay. Building missional energy. This came from Andrew Hurd, particularly the first section. Remember, he of EV Church in Australia. He says, you've got to look, if you're putting together a program for your church, structure your church calendar around mission. So what sets the agenda? Is it the maturity building up of the Christians in your church? He says, no. If you want to be a missional church, you set the agenda around mission. So he says, as we plan our calendar, we begin with mission and build everything around it. We make it convenient for the non-Christian and inconvenient for us. So the example he gave in Australia is Christmas is a great opportunity to get people along and into services, traditions, carols, even in the middle of summer, because it's called summer in Australia. So the problem is we want to go on holiday immediately after those Christmas services, because that's our school holidays, January time in Australia. But that's the time when most people in the year will have come into our church for the very first time and heard something about Jesus. So if we shut down, immediately after we've done our biggest sort of outreach program for the year, what, what are we really saying there? If we say, we're really great that you came along for your Christmas services, there'll be an opportunity for you to find out more six weeks from that. You know, he just, he just can't do that. So he needs a core group of the church to be willing to move their summer holidays, to say, we will be around. At actually quite a good time, because it's when people are on holiday, it's the summer months where they're a little bit more relaxed, the evenings are lighter and longer and all the rest of it to say we need to be there for them at that time. So we change and reorientate our structures. If you ask the church, when would you like things to be quiet? They would say the middle of the summer. So we can go on holiday. He says when mission is your agenda, you have to flip it and say to the church, we need you here after our Christmas services so that we can maximize the influence and impact. We need to be able to say to someone who's been along to a Christmas service, come next week and know that we'll be ready for them. So at EV Church, what they did a couple of years ago is at the end of the Christmas services, they then ran four Sundays 
uh, into January, where the questions that they answered was what's wrong with the world? And over the Christmas services, they gave people in the community an opportunity to answer that question for themselves. And then they picked the top four answers, and, and Andrew preached through those four answers into January. So each one of the four sermons on Sunday mornings in January were the answers the community gave to what's wrong with the, with the world. And just to build that momentum, Christmas is a great time for us, he was saying. So how do we go? How do we keep it going? Make the most of what's coming next. So you need to think about how you structure your calendar missionally and in an appropriate way. Celebrate good news stories. I think one of the ways in which we build mission and energy is to find ways of just being that constant encouragement to members of your church family that as you take that, that risk, that step of faith, for example, to speak to someone about Jesus or to build intentional friendships, that, that God is at work. So it might just be someone stands up and just gives a little interview in a church meeting to say how they gave a taxi driver a Luke's gospel after a short conversation in a cab going from A to B. And that's all they do. Or someone else who talks about what, how they choose to invest their lunch breaks at work, who they sit with and the relationships that they're seeking to build. Or how someone is witnessing to a parent or something else like that. To um, just tell everyday stories, to encourage and to motivate and to, to help people to see the baby steps towards a missional life and, and what those could be and how you can do them. So celebrate good news stories. We tend to only perhaps interview people who come to faith, but actually choosing to interview people who are just, just doing those little uh, evidences of missional living to encourage everyone else. And then, of course, praying consistently for mission as individuals, families, and as a church builds energy as well. So structures, stories, and prayer. Uh, create multiple missional entry points into church life. Keller again says a missional church must be in some sense porous. Porous simply means having lots of holes, easy to enter. A missional church does not depend on an evangelism program or department to do outreach. Almost all parts of the church's life must be ready to respond to the presence of people who do not yet believe. So as a, church leader, as a church leader, I want to be talking to all areas of the life of the church and say, how is mission on your agenda? Whether that's someone running the creche or the music group or running our midweek missional groups or whatever else it might be, how is it evidence that mission is on your agenda? And what might that look like in your context? So we have a, a football team, and one of the reasons we decided to have a football team is we made it our intention that half this is an 11 aside team in the West Midlands Football League that half of our team will be non-Christians. That, that was the deal. So we thought we'll join a Christian league and have a church team, but on the basis that it will be 50% non-Christians. And it's actually probably slightly more than that at the moment. It's probably about 60% non-Christians. It's been going for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And um, I did say to the guy who heads it up, I said, when did the Christians last get together to pray for the non-Christian teammates? It's actually, we've not done that enough. We need to do that more than we are. So I think you should. So keeping mission, so how do you stop an, a football team becoming just an opportunity to play football? How do you keep mission on the agenda? How are you praying? How is it evident to the Christians in the team why you're in this together and what that's going to look like? For, for us, it's involving non-Christians, perhaps in the life of the church, and different churches will have different tolerances to how much you'll let a non-Christian be active in the community. 
So some might say, yeah, it's okay for a musician who are not Christians to be in a worship band. Others might say, yeah, they can be in our midweek missional groups. For different churches, you need to work that out for yourself what it might mean. Um, we have, for example, my wife runs the Stay and Play group, and we have an Iraqi refugee, a Kurdish lady, not a Christian, doesn't have uh, preschool children, doesn't really come to church, her English is not brilliant, but she makes all the tea and coffee in, in the mum's Stay and Play that my wife runs. Um, because we want to involve her and bring her into the life of the church, in, and she wants to do it. So we said, yeah, we've, we've not got a problem with that. She's not a Christian yet, but we're praying for her. So how does each ministry develop? How welcoming are you to non-Christians being present and involved? Uh, and involved? Comments, folks, questions? On six, seven, or eight? If you're football team, um, how does it go beyond the, the uh, football? So we've done exactly the same thing. Um, uh, what I'm thinking about is, is every area sort of outside the church, the community stuff, has to move people towards the life of the church. So how do you move people from, say, the, the football team to home groups, maybe on Sunday? Okay. So. The football team always know about forthcoming opportunities, particularly things like carol services and so on, and some of them will come to that. We have an end of season meal where I always give a short talk and I, even though I don't play for the team, give out the awards that season. So they're connecting with me, the pastor and the preacher. Um, we have two or three times invited them as a team to a service where we might interview two or three of them and hear how they've got on that season, how it's gone. Um, just small ways in which we try and remind them that they are part of this thing called City Church. Many of them have no meaningful contact with Christians outside of that team and are not interested in Christian and gospel things. But we pray at the beginning, before each match, and pray at the end of each match. And they accept that that's part of playing for a church team. And we're in it for the long term with some of them, you know, sort of five or six years in and there's been no response at all to Christian things, no desire to come to anything. But we know if it weren't for us, you'd never know a Christian. And we just play the long game, I think, in that sense. But it's not easy, um, but, they, but, but they accept a certain amount of sense in which they represent the church when they're playing, and they're invited along to things and so on. But it's not easy. Anything else? Right, let's move on, your brains are probably done already. Uh, nine, encourage missional living. A missional church will basically give people permission to go and do things and to try things and be on mission in every part of their lives. So this is again from Centre Church. We don't just, in other words, restrict people to say you can only work through the programs of the church. I'm interested in people who just want to take an initiative and just want to do something so someone who organised a street party for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, just just do it. And then let's hear about it in church. So that's exactly what we did. And we then got them up to the front. How has it helped you to get to know your neighbours? What difference has it made that it was a good number of the people on the street who put this together with Christians from two or three local churches? Just get on with it. A crafts evening that we, we organised quite recently was just a bubble up idea from someone in the church. So I want people to just be spontaneous, relational and active and each member of the church recognizing 
they're not just a consumer of events, they take some responsibility for it as well. Blockages, demotivators, discouragements, I think we do need to speak into these as much as we do need to up the first five principles that we looked at right at the beginning. So what could it be? Well, generally, I think it probably is one of four things that's discouraging or demotivating someone in your church, a lack of conviction. I've just never seen anyone become a Christian. I've not had that privilege. And so I'm just not sure the gospel works. Or a lack of competence. I just never seem to know what to say. My friends are quite aggressive. They're quite hostile to Christian things. And they ask me about same-sex relationships or they're asking me about other religions and I just don't even know where to begin. Lack of competence. A lack of confidence. I think, you know, if I knew more or could do more, that would make a difference. Or a lack of time. Uh, whatever it may be that we need to work with and speak into those situations. Just recognising and saying to people, this isn't easy, is it? And, and standing alongside and owning that and helping people who just feel guilted all the time by talk of evangelism and mission. Hiring an old school chapel, we, we've found an opportunity for the perfect building for our carol services. We used to run carol services and we'd be, we'd be pleased if 10 non-Christians came because they were in a sports hall. No atmosphere. It was just, just not what anyone would want to come to to sing carols. And then we found a building which was basically um, like a traditional chapel. And they said, you can have it on this Sunday. And it's now 340 people, and we're now moving it to two services to fit everyone in. We were full, and now this year we're doing two for the first time. And that was all about the building. So where are the opportunities? Is it a building? Is it a person? Is it an event in the community, like a diamond jubilee? Where are the places where you can think, this is our, our opportunity, we should do it now? Just different things, major on the things that can work for you and mission, giving your people your location, your time, and so on. Uh, 12 everyday mission, street associations. Um, a guy in Birmingham just came up with a great idea to say, he's a Christian in another church, he said, you know what, we bring? He said, if Christians could take the lead in their particular streets and communities at forming street associations, where you might take, I don't know, it might be one particular cul-de-sac, or it might be a row of 50 to 75 houses, and you invite everyone in those 75 houses to say, why don't we aim to get to know each other as neighbours and build community on our streets by putting on two or three, four events across the year for just us as a, as a community, as a little street association. So don't think neighbourhood watch, it's not about that, it's about gathering together people for say like a summer barbecue, or a, a walk, or a kids event, or whatever else it might be. And so this Christian set up over 50 of these streets associations in Birmingham. And in our church, we have three members of our congregation who are leading those street associations. And what that means is they can look at the numbers on their streets and say, that's Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, and they've got a 13-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son, and that couple are a little bit older, and their kids are off and gone away. And let me tell you about this person, and they're a Muslim, and they don't know anyone on our street yet. They, we were the first people to ever introduce ourselves to them. And all of a sudden, they're just building these, these opportunities. And it's just one guy's great idea, street associations. You can look it up on Google. It's just, he's now trying to get the vision across the country. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it's helping Christians be at the heart of their little communities. In everyday mission, uh, again, Timothy and Chester, they suggest a number of ways in which you can build mission into your lives and coach people in your church to think about how to be intentional 
and outward focused in the ordinary things that they do. Eating with non-Christians, walking, not driving, being a regular. So for me, that means going to one particular uh, curry house. And it means going to one particular place for a takeaway. Hobbies with non-Christians, talking to your co-workers and so on and so on. Everyday mission. Just building into people's lives intentionality and opportunity. Maximise your contribution. This, the last few are shorter. Thank you for your patience. Maximise your contribution. Basically means as you as a church... You will be good at some things. And you'll be good at some things because of the people who are in your church. Think about the things that you're good at and give your time and energy to what you can do rather than worrying about what you can't do. No one church can do everything. So you've got to decide what has God gifted us to do and how can we make those priorities so that we can have the biggest impact rather than worrying about what a church down the road seems to be able to do that you can't. And that means also, number 14, don't try and do everything to achieve your mission. So you want to start where you've got the greatest chance of succeeding, humanly speaking. And that probably means with people quite like you as a beginning. Don't ask too much of people in the church or attempt too much, but build slowly and intentionally what you can do within your church. 15, look to develop leaders who are driven by mission. So if you're someone leading a church and you're trying to build the leadership team, or you're looking to employ people, look for people who are mission-driven. Everyone, whether it's a children's worker, a women's worker, a new elder, whatever their role may be, is that heartbeat mission. Because if that's the vision of the church, that means everyone needs to be on board with that. And every time you appoint into leadership, <coughs> test that. Do they have that mindset? <coughs> And, of course, you can begin to work that out with them. 16, be ready to get things wrong. Don't be afraid to try things that don't work. Mistakes can be a key to growth. So we tried early on to do a lot of people going into the very city centre to work in law firms, accountancy firms, and other places. We said, why don't we try a lunchtime city centre event so that someone can bring their work colleagues to it. And we tried it on and off over two years, and we just couldn't get traction People would say, I'm really committed to it, the Christians, but I just can't get away at lunchtime or something came up or whatever. We tried it for two years, we just we couldn't get it going. And, and in the end, we've not persevered with it. Although one or two workplace Christian unions would help facilitate and they have been able to do a little bit better, I think. We tried, it didn't work, never mind. Plant, plant to achieve your mission. So if you're, if you're missional, you want the whole church to be thinking, when we can plant, we will. So sometimes people talk about the language being born pregnant. You know, as soon as you start, you're thinking about when you can plant. So we planted our daughter's church seven years into life as a church. We maybe could have done it slightly quicker, but we did let 35 people go, and they were amongst some of our best people. So it probably was about the right time to go. And then plan to achieve your mission. You've got to sort of digest these ideas and your own ideas and working through with your leadership teams and just take steps forward, strategic goals. How will you make clear your goals and uh, how are they going to give you the ability to say yes or no to, or that should say, to other things? What actions, what are your next action points? And then perhaps also how do you review your progress? That's a smorgasbord of ideas. It's not a strategy. It's not trying to tell you how to get from A to B in five easy steps. 
it's just a suggestion of different ways in which we have thought as a church how we can do this. I don't think we do it brilliantly at all. I think we're getting a little bit better as each year goes along about being intentional and missional in what we do. You all have got lots of good ideas, no doubt, uh, of your own, and um, I'm only sorry we don't have more time together. But let's pray as we finish. Father, it's the Lord Jesus who sends us onto mission, and he is with us in mission. Father, thank you for those words at the end of Matthew's Gospel that he, he is with us to the very end of the age. So we don't look to do his work for him, but ask that he might work through us to reach our communities and our cities and from there the ends of the earth. Help us to see the next steps for us, what we could perhaps work on and develop and take forward in our lives and also in our church. If we've lost that vision for the lost ourselves, would you renew that desire in us and show us what needs to change? And Lord, help us to gently but directly encourage everyone in our local churches uh, to take this step of obedience to the Lord Jesus seriously. Amen. Amen.